Ready for your weekly tech fix? Want to know how technology sets us free? Well, get ready because here it comes. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with your host, entrepreneur and technophile Brian Sovereign. He's got a huge brain. And now, here's Brian. Spilling the seed of liberty, spreading the seed of liberty as often as he can. It is I, the golden stallion of the tech world, Brian Sovereign, here for another great episode of Sovereign Tech. That's right. The Rembrandt of the podcast canvas is back in the studio this week. Um, and actually, we're back in the lovely Stephanie Murphy's studios. Um, and she's off at Libertopia having a great time. Uh, I went to Libertopia last year and had a wonderful time. I, it's a great, great event. Um, I did not go this year, but I'm here for you. So I didn't go away. So you don't get that that nice double load of sovereign tech whenever I travel. Um, but I didn't travel this week. So if you're wondering, hey, is he at Libertopia? Well, clearly you if you're there, you've probably already found out that I'm not, but I am, you know, at, at home in the free state project and recording a wonderful show for you. So this week there is so much tech news. I mean, it's just been a real shakeup in the tech world. Um, and we're going to go over it and then we've got this, we got a, a relatively short story, but a very important story to talk about, uh, in, in this section as well. And of course, you know, don't forget that this is part, this is the second episode of the new longer cut version of sovereign tech that's right this is it's a few minutes longer we've got a new section some new ads uh it's a good time so let's get to the stories we've, we've got a there's just so much to cover um as far as the rapid fire stories a quick one this is an interesting point there's some uh, really some some uh white collar shakeups you know going on in the tech world steve Ballmer, the head uh the ceo of Microsoft is no longer the CEO of Microsoft, or at least he's in, he's now looking for his replacement. He is done. He will still be on the board at Microsoft, just like Bill Gates is. Uh, Bill Gates, of course, was the original uh, CEO of Microsoft and Balmer took over a few years ago. Um, and this is, I mean, this is pretty huge, you know, and a lot of people are talking about this with Steve Ballmer leaving for good reason, because like, whoa, whoa, is, you know, this is very exciting. In fact, you know, stocks went up everything uh, because people are like, hey, maybe Microsoft could get fixed if they bring in somebody, you know, with some vision uh, or somebody, you know, who's a great PR guy or something, you know, maybe, you know, a great PR guy like Steve Jobs, uh, who also had vision, no doubt about it. Uh, so this is really exciting now. Everybody's wondering who's it going to be. Uh, I think if if it was, you know, usually it seems like Microsoft likes to hire internally. They don't bring people in from the outside. Uh, there's people who say it's going to be uh, Adler. There's people who say that it's or Alder. Uh, there's there's people who who say that it's going to be. Um, I don't know. There's a whole lot of theories out there. Unfortunately, like the, the one guy I think who would have been the surefire pick, he's already gone, and that's Steve Stanowski, um, who was you know, pretty much sent packing from Microsoft. He helped to design the surface, which is a, you know, it's actually a really great product. Uh, and in fact, you know, it's lack of sales probably has a lot to do with the fact of why Balmer's leaving because pretty much Microsoft lost out on, on what might as well be a billion dollars, uh, because you know, they, the, the Microsoft surface RT just didn't sell very well. So anyway, so, so this is intriguing. And if you're wondering, if you're wondering who does the golden stallion think will be the successor to Gates and Balmer, I think it's going to be someone from the outside. 
And no one has said this yet. And believe me, I pay attention to the tech world. I, I know what people are, you know, what ideas, what names are getting thrown out there. And I think it's going to be Scott Forstall. Now, if you're wondering who Scott Forstall is, he was kind of a golden boy at, at Apple, um, more commonly known as a very arrogant ass over there. But let me tell you a little secret, okay, about, uh, you know, about Silicon Valley, um, is that those are the kind of guys that usually, and it's not just Silicon Valley, those are the kind of guys that usually make great CEOs, you know, because it's their way or the highway, and a company gets vision from that. Now, Scott Forstall, of course, you know, he had a huge clusterfuck with uh, with Apple Maps for iOS, uh, you know, because, I mean, he touted it as, the, you know, the, the, the best thing since, uh, well, sliced bread isn't good, so I don't know, the best thing since something. And, you know, he, obviously he was wrong. I mean, Apple Maps was a bit of a mess, uh, in fact. But listen, later on, we're going to talk about a map system that maybe isn't a mess, uh, and it's not Google. Anyway, you know, so I think Scott Forstall, this is a guy who really, like, I mean, he knows he's got all the knowledge in the world, all the talent in the world. I think he could pull it off. Uh, you heard it here. I actually posted it uh, on social media a couple days ago because I wanted to say, you know, no, when this happens, I want it written down. And this happened a few times at Sovereign Tech where I've called. I call shit all the time. Okay. I, you know, you know, I, I, been around been around the, these businesses a few times and i i know uh when they're you know a lot of times what their their, their schemes are so i think it's going to be scott forstall i think it's going to shock the world uh and i couldn't be happier for it in fact i i might actually root for microsoft much like i i sort of root for yahoo since they got marissa meyer because i mean i mean she's phenomenal just just a phenomenal uh, talent uh and woman and beautiful at that. Uh, so, you know, bring on Scott Forstall. Let's do this. I, I love it. Or if not Forstall, go ahead, you know, rehire Sanofsky. Say, we're sorry. Look, come fix this company. It's all yours. Uh, I think that would be fantastic. So anyway, more, uh, you know, white collar stuff. Hugo Berra, the VP of Android. Okay. The vice president. I mean, this guy is a big deal. Great guy, really, just like Forstall, really intelligent, a uh, lot of charisma, a lot of character. Uh, Hugo Berra, I mean, one of the guys at Google that I, I feel uh, was really pushing it forward and had some attitude instead of this, oh, nice, nice, you know, we're Google, we don't pay attention to anything. Uh, really like Hugo Berra, and he is now going to China to work for a whole other company other than Google. The VP of Android, gone. And what's behind all this? Well, <laughs> it has to do with uh, the guy at Google that I actually don't like, and that's Sergey Brin. Uh, I do, I do kind of like Larry Page, even though I know he's not very libertarian. Um, and Sergey, him and his wife, that you know, they've got a, this big divorce going on, and apparently Hugo Berra. Rumor has it, and this is all rumor, there's a TechCrunch story out there, there's probably a couple other things, but just tons of rumors going around. Either way, all of them are very juicy, and I love it. Hugo Berra was uh, was apparently uh, perhaps sleeping with um, <laughs> Sergey Brin's wife, and also with uh, another member on, on the team, uh, though maybe, maybe it was Sergey who was sleeping with a member of the Google Glass team, and then, you know, his wife found out that, that he was fucking her, and I don't, it's a big quadrangle, it's, it's awesome, I, <laughs> well, it's not awesome, I mean, if, if, you know, someone's heart, heart is broken, I mean, that's terrible, you know, but I just, I kind of enjoy, you know, everybody thinks Google's this, like, squeaky clean company, Guess what? They're not. 
And I wonder if Sergei used Prism to find out if if, there, if Hugo was, uh, you know, what what kind of, um, you know, what kind of wonderful lovemaking was going on in the in the Android area in Google Glass departments. Uh, because we recently found out that uh, that actually there's there's a part of there's an NSA, uh, you know, soft there's NSA software that that tracks um, relationships. Uh, and that was talked about actually recently on Free Talk Live by uh, by Ian Freeman, I believe. And anyway, so that's wild. So Hugo's going. I don't know who's going to take his place. Uh, totally an irreplaceable guy. Uh, just just a fen- I mean phenomenal uh, phenomenal VP, uh, phenomenal executive. I mean let's just you know he's an executive. It doesn't matter if he's you know that uh, chief exec or what. Um, so Hugo's off uh, because you know he decided to to have some fun and and some you know some women decided to have fun with them good for them you know welcome to the modern age uh where hopefully people are are getting out of their uh you know getting their conservative bugs out of their butts and anyway so i thought that was interesting uh i don't i don't think anything's going to drastically change at google because of that other than maybe it'll lose some of its pretty great attitude uh, especially with recent ads they've been doing the ads that google's been putting out have been great and from what i understand hugo Berra has had a lot of input in that uh so that's a shame you know to to, to lose that uh anyway what else uh, wow i mean so much speaking of google here we go google's competition <laughs> okay google has some competition in an area that no one expected anyone to even try to compete with them with and that's driverless cars nissan starting to develop driverless cars and they are planning on having it out long before google starts their driverless car taxi service so that's out there just so you know so it's not just google it's not just a one-trick pony now we can start talking about nissan we don't have to say google car anymore now we can say nissan and nissan's a good company in fact they just came out with a i I love this an all-wheel drive convertible that's great. That's New Hampshire with class. That's what that is. And I think that's fantastic. Uh, anyway, next, next bit of little Google business. We've got the Nexus four going down to $250 at the Google play store, uh, which that's a good hundred, 200 down from, from what it was. And everybody's asking, Oh, is, is there going to be a new Google phone or anything coming out? Uh, the golden stallion I doesn't think so. Uh, I personally, I think that the reason the Nexus four dropped down to $250 now a week and a half, two weeks before Apple is supposedly going to d- announce two i two new iPhones. One of them supposedly being like a, a gateway model, as in not not like gateway to computers, but gateway as in gateway drug, as in like it's a cheaper model for everybody to be able to get into an iPhone uh, or into iOS. And so I think Google did that to say, no, well, guess what? We've got this flagship phone, and it is a flagship phone. Why? Because you know, it, do you realize the Nexus Four has practically the same exact specs? as the nexus 7 tablet which many argued to be the greatest tablet out there right now uh so you know it's a great product for 250 dollars the battery life is shit and it's not a removable battery so you can't buy an extended battery but the nexus 4 is a great device i mean people love that thing and so for 250 bucks i mean yeah jump on it uh anyway so i think that's totally just to undercut apple and their their iPhone releases coming up. That's my opinion on that. Uh, another thing, we got the the Bitcoin meeting that that, that came up, uh, where a bunch of people from the Bitcoin Foundation uh, went and talked to various heads of government agencies. They also went to Capitol Hill recently to talk to some people, and no one really knows what they said, other than all parties said they walked away with a better understanding. Um, to be honest, I don't think the Bitcoin Foundation has 
any aces in their hand. So if everybody walked away with a better understanding, I get the sense that the government explained to the Bitcoin Foundation, this is how Bitcoin's going to work and you're going to start making it that way. Uh, so that's unfortunate, but we don't know. Maybe it was positive. Maybe people actually got ticked off and they just wanted to make the news story sound good. Who knows? Uh, anyway, let's get back. We just mentioned iPhones, uh, trying to do segues here (laughs) and we're running through so much information so fast, but let's get back to iPhones. Let's talk about a real quick story of the week. And and this is kind of disturbing. This comes from veterans today, not the most reliable source, but, uh, it is true that, that this, this software is out there and it's police now can switch off iPhone camera and Wi-Fi. Um, Let's see. Police throughout the globe have been embarrassed to see online videos of their officers pepper spraying tied captives. In our age of mobile gadgets, the pictures can be uploaded online in seconds, making supervisors uh, to answer the questions. But now the police may not need to fear scrutiny anymore because Apple has recently patented a piece of technology that would allow the authorities and police to block data transmission, including video and photos whenever they like. All they need to do is decide that a public gathering or venue is deemed sensitive and needs to be protected from externalities. In this case, Apple will enable them to switch off all its gear. The developers insist that the affected locations are normally cinemas, theaters, and concert grounds, but Apple admits it could also be used in covert police or government operations that may need complete blackout conditions. What the fuck? Uh, obviously the article doesn't say that I said that what the fuck. All right, we'll keep going. In the meantime, privacy outfits point out that it could also be used to prevent such whistleblowers as Edward Snowden from shooting pictures and sharing them online. Oh, great. So now there's no accountability whatsoever. Uh, (laughs) In response, Apple claimed that the wireless transmission of sensitive data to a remote source is a threat to security, with the sensitive data being anything from classified government data to answers to an exam administered in an academic setting. Oh, you wouldn't want anybody cheating on tests that are bullshit anyway. Uh, Anyway, the fact is that Apple has patented the means to transmit an encoded signal to all wireless gadgets, commanding them to disable recording functions. The developers reveal that the policies could be activated by GPS and Wi-Fi or mobile base stations that would ring fence around a building or sensitive area in order to prevent mobile cameras from taking pictures or video. And obviously also send all that online. Now, before we go too much further, yes, I would totally believe that Google would do this too. You know, it just, it it takes all, all the government has to do is say, uh, yeah, we want you to put this in you know, to where we can just cut out all types of communication, uh, you know, that, that the device has and you say, well, how can they do that? Well, you can do it. I mean, especially with, uh, not so much with an iPhone, uh, because iPhones don't offer you as much control unless you have a jailbroken, which I imagine is the overall answer to this. If you have a jailbroken iPhone, you can probably much ease. You, you could probably stop this whole thing from happening, hopefully. Um, But if you look on an Android device, like a vanilla type Android device, meaning it has pure Android, it doesn't have any skinning over it like Samsung or HTC would do, uh, there's, there's a control bar that you can put, or a control widget that you can put on where it turns off the GPS, it turns off, um, you know, the Wi-Fi, it turns off everything, Bluetooth, you name it, all the methods of communication that the device has, it kills. And so of course it's possible if you can do it with a touch, you know, with the touch of your screen, they can do it with the signal that comes in. 
Uh, I mean, I imagine most people are probably shocked, especially in our post-prism age, which I think is an apt description, uh, albeit I'm sure it's cliche by now to even say that. Uh, we'll talk more about post-prism stuff later. But in our post-prism age, you know, I imagine most people are like, what do you mean? They couldn't already do this? You know, they, they, they couldn't already just turn everything off? Yeah, they, they, they probably could. Um, there, you know, in fact, there's little devices, uh, that you can buy online that are, that are really interesting where, I mean, you could kind of do this where it, it's a, it looks like an antenna. It looks like an antenna, say on a wireless router and you plug it into your car, uh, you know, into the, the cigarette lighter of your car, the, the, the DC adapter. And what it does, it, it, it creates a, a, a field, essentially a bubble of you know where, where communications where, where any kind of like signals are just scrambled and and nothing comes like your gps will stop working um all all kinds of electronic transmissions just stop working they're really really handy they're very very illegal as well um but there's ways to get them think tour and so you know now now the government's you know just doing it for themselves and they're getting the keys to the kingdom to make sure that everything just gets completely turned off and the story you know the way this the way the paper for it is all laid out i mean that that this is for say in cinemas oh you mean like where shootings happen uh or it could be you know say at um boston marathons now why would you want to turn everything off there you know, especially th think the Boston Marathon bombing. Why would you want to turn off communications there? No, I mean, they did. They kind of did. Apparently, like the cell phone signals were, were like cut off. And when, you know, having all that information, I mean, think, uh, think uh, the Dark Knight. OK, the, the movie, the Dark Knight, uh, where, you know, Batman uses like every cell phone's like, you know, essentially sonar <laughs> um, to find the Joker. You know, why, why wouldn't you want all those pictures being taken and all that data being sent around so that you could easily filter what exactly is going on? Why wouldn't you? I find that to be ass backwards thinking on the government's part, you know, to want to, to want to kill communications. Um, and I'm also, you know, so another point I want to bring up, this is more of an iPhone point. Again, I think this is going to apply to everything, uh, unless you either jailbreak or you put on like custom, uh, if you put custom, you know, mods on like your Android device, which is a fun thing to do. Um, but about, but about Apple, a lot of people say, well, Apple doesn't really play ball with the government, even though it's not open source, you know, and, and you can't see where exactly all that information's going. You can trust Apple because, you know, they're international and, and they don't care what the government thinks. And so it's actually more secure because it doesn't actually run through the government, blah, blah, blah. Uh, like iMessage is apparently this incredibly secure system. Well, iMessage is useless when Apple gives the government or whoever the ability to just turn it off. Okay. So, you know, what's the answer to that? Blackberry messenger. That's another piece of news tech news that came out this week that apparently Blackberry. And I mean, I've talked about this before that they should do that, but, um, but Blackberry messenger is apparently going to come out for all kinds of systems, uh, which governments actually use Blackberry messenger, at least they used to. Uh, and in, in some areas it's illegal, like in Russia, they don't like people using it because the government can't even break through to it. So, but, so that's my point is that it's kind of the Blackberry argument where, yeah, use Blackberry. It's secure. Okay. Yes. You know, it's not open source, but it's so secure. Even the government, 
governments are afraid of it. But now they're not. Now they're in control. At least with iPhones, for sure, you know, that we're, that we're aware of. Um, and and it's, it's funny, too, because at the same time, we've got stories coming out that, that have been talked about where, like in California, where police are getting forced by their superiors, by police chiefs, to wear cameras. And when they started wearing the cameras, and this, the data's out there, believe me, I mean, it, it, the statistics are out there of what, what's happened. That police violence, violent situations that police find themselves in since they started wearing cameras have dropped by, I don't know, 25, 50%, some crazy number. I mean, it's just a marked improvement in police and slash citizen interactions, even though citizen isn't real. Uh, You know, there's no such thing as a citizen. And, you know, so so why why if putting cameras on police is so helpful and it's being proven to be so helpful and kudos to the police chiefs, you know, in California for setting that up. I think that's fantastic. So if they're so helpful, why do you want to turn them off? Sensitive situation. What kind of sensitive situation should public servants be involved in to where we can't see? In fact, if it's a sensitive situation, that's all the more reason that we should see exactly what's going on. This is, this is double speak absolute doublespeak that somehow these people need some degree of secrecy no you do not not while you're on the job there's no need for secrecy there's no need they don't you don't have the right to tell my device what it can and cannot do you know most people don't realize this and we may talk about this a little bit more in, in the next section i'm not sure but we might the FCC is such an evil organization. It is one of the most evil organizations of government. I mean, it's right up there. To me, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that the IRS is collecting the money that kills thousands and millions of people around the world, um, I would say the FCC was more evil than the IRS. Okay, because the FCC is the one that says, oh, yeah, well, no, you want to use 3G communications, you got to pass that by us. You want to use 4G LTE, you got to pass that by us. And you know what now? Yeah, if you want to keep running that contract, you want to keep, you know, giving your, your customers that wonderful service in the United States, you are going to have to put in the cutoff switch to make sure that when we want it to go dark, it goes dark. Creepy. Creepy. And what about... What, what, what about the whole idea that Google has where if you have nothing to hide, you know, or if it's something you have to hide, maybe you shouldn't do it. Well, government, maybe you shouldn't do it. I'll be back with more. What? What do you mean you don't have to take your clothes off? What a bunch of... Okay, okay, no, you don't have to take your clothes off to have a good time, but... Come on, we all want to, don't we? (laughs) I just... Who who writes lyrics like that? I can't believe it. Uh, Anyway, let's get back to Sovereign Tech. Tech Roulette. 
want to play? It is time for Tech Roulette, where I cover the stories that get sent to me through the various channels possible uh, for Sovereign Tech. Of course, Twitter, SovereignTech.com, the email address, SovereignTech at Hush.ai. Also, BitMessage is also a possibility. I don't tout that one enough, but if you look in the show notes, SoundCloud.com or slash SovereignTech or SovereignTech.com, in the show notes, at the bottom, there's actually my BitMessage address, my personal BitMessage address that you can send... um, you know, stories to links, whatever. Uh, it's, it's, it's really, I, I really enjoy bit message and its importance may become more apparent as time goes on. If it isn't already incredibly apparent. Um, anyway, this week we got an interesting story sent in from a listener. This, this kind of, you know, and, and this is bound to happen because again, this is a show we've got, uh, you know, four digits in the episode numbers. <laughs> so it's going to go for a while. So a lot of times we're going to, and we're all, we're talking about, you know, technology, you know, which is a big subject. And so sometimes topics will harken back to previous episodes, um, or they may, you know, repeat maybe even a little, which I think is fine because, you know, I mean, this is over time this show has been, hasn't even been going on for a year, but in the tech world, even a month is an eon. It's an eon. Okay. So that's all right if, if this stuff kind of kind of doubles over. But anyway, this this is this is interesting. This has to do uh, a while back. I talked about someone someone asked me. They actually emailed me. In fact, this might be the same person that sent this part of this story to me. Um, but they asked me about you know like there was this article that apparently from Lou Rockwell that apparently Star Trek um, was predictive programming. Predictive programming being um, you know the the government or I think in this case it was the Rand Corporation. Uh, very little to do with Ayn Rand uh, was you know saying okay we need to prep people for the future that we're creating. So you make a show that has all this stuff in it, all these elements. That way everybody when we actually implement it, everybody will think it's normal because oh hey yeah this is just like when it was on star trek and this is a related story it's also uh it's not from lou rockwell but it's from the mises institute um and it's a blog post from just a few days ago august 20th 2013 Uh, and it's talking to the guy who made the same claims about you know about star trek possibly being predictive programming that's paul Cantor, uh who wrote a book called the invisible hand in popular culture Um, and this blog post is called Paul Cantor on the technocratic elite in popular culture. Now we'll read through it and then we can talk more. What exactly is technocratic? Uh, because it may not be exactly what you think unless you've read about like technocracy and stuff like that. Anyway, uh, Paul Cantor talks with the Mises Institute about his new book, the invisible hand in popular culture, liberty versus authority in film and TV newly available from the university press of Kentucky, uh, Mises Institute, in Invisible Hand, you spend a time, a bit of time explaining how film and TV are, are a collaborative process and not the product of any one artist. Why is this important to your view of popular culture? Paul Cantor, many people who condemn pop culture and dismiss it as artistically worthless dwell on the fact that films and television shows are almost never the products of a single artist working on his own. It is therefore important to show that many of the great works of high culture grew out of a collaborative process, too. There is nothing about cooperation in artistic creation that precludes high quality. Too many cooks may spoil the broth, but they may also each add a distinctive flavor and work together to bring the recipe to perfection. The process of synergy and feedback 
back work in popular culture just the way they do in other areas of human endeavor. This is all part of my defense of popular culture to demonstrate that the conditions of production in film and television are not necessarily incompatible with artistic as well as commercial success. Uh, Mises Institute, in reading your chapters on UFO movies and westerns of the 1950s and 60s, the important role of intellectual and political elites is emphasized in many cases. Do these same themes persist today? Paul Cantor, in later chapters, I show that many contemporary television shows express a fear of technocratic elites taking control of the lives of ordinary Americans. This is the hidden theme in many alien invasion narratives. A technologically advanced civilization shows up and asks Americans to surrender their freedom in exchange for all sorts of material benefits. In V, the aliens specifically promise universal health care, clean energy, and vast public work projects. Even the press picked up on the resonances with President Obama's campaign promises. And, of course, no show does a better job than South Park of exposing the hypocrisy and pretensions of elites in America, especially in Hollywood. Uh, yeah, the, 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 this was, when he talks about V, he's talking about there was a newer rendition that was done, like, in 2009, 2010, around there. Went two seasons. And it was actually a really good show. Uh, I very much enjoyed it. But, like, in the first maybe six or seven episodes, I mean, hands down, they were, like, just stabbing at and anything politicians were talking about at the time especially with the obama administration with like universal health care and all this stuff showing it as some kind of bad thing it was it was it was pretty interesting for them to be so bold because they were they're very bold and, and like i mean you couldn't miss it it slapped you on the face with the parallels between you know government programs that were being proposed and talked about at that time in like 2009 um and then uh, you know, with what the, the visitors in V were proposing, you know, to give to mankind. Anyway, we'll keep going. Uh, Mises Institute, you dedicated your earlier book, Gilligan Unbound, to your VCR, which is now antique technology. How has the process of analyzing pop culture itself changed over the past decade? Paul Cantor, DVDs and DVRs have changed not just the way pop culture can be analyzed, they have changed the way it can be viewed in the first place. We can now read films and television shows the way we're used to taking in books. We can view films and television shows at our own pace, pausing over moments we really like and returning to points we might not have comprehended at first viewing. This allows creators of film and TV series to risk levels of complexity they never felt comfortable with before. That's why we're getting such a, such convoluted and sometimes borderline incomprehensible shows on TV today. And of course, when it comes to analyzing these shows, DVDs and DVRs are a godsend. I don't even want to think back to how difficult it was to rewind and fast forward videotapes when I had to search for particular passages while writing Gilligan Unbound. Now I can find any scene I need in seconds, and DVDs often contain supplementary material that is a scholar's dream. Interviews with writers, producers, and actors sometimes confirm what's taken on a given show. I often ask myself, what did scholars ever do for the entertainment business to deserve this kind of help from it? Deluxe DVDs with bonus material are among the most scholarly artifacts our civilization has ever produced, and no government planning was involved for purely commercial reasons the market simply generated archival material that should be the envy of any academic or government institution that's a great point i love that uh the mises institute in invisible hand you note that after 9 11 many commentators who hold a more positive view of the nation state than the x-files gloated at the possibility that 9 11 had killed the x-files cynical approach to the na to the nation state yet to paraphrase a line from another sci-fi franchise could we say that the death of the x-files has only made it more powerful 
I'm not, Paul Cantor, I'm not sure that the X-Files has become more powerful since it went off the air. After all, at its peak, it had high ratings and an even higher profile in our culture. Still, it's worth noting that the widespread prediction that the X-Files would drop off the cultural map after 9-11 has proven to be wrong. In the last part of my book, I argued that the X-Files still has much to tell us about the war on terror and the assault on civil liberties in the United States. And in my last chapter, I showed that X-Files gave birth to all the alien invasion narratives that have proliferated on television since 9-11. Fringe for example, is about rogue FBI agents, government cover-ups, mad scientists, paranormal events, the mysterious abduction of a child, and attempts by sinister forces to penetrate U.S. borders. How close can you get to the X-Files before you get sued? It may still be too early to tell, but it appears that Scully and Mulder have become permanent features of our cultural landscape. Uh, Mises Institute, while Hollywood clearly has a reputation as a place sympathetic to leftism and social democracy, there are a few shows with overtly libertarian themes. Deadwood is one, and South Park is another. You deal with both in your book. What do you think the success of these shows tells us about Hollywood and the viewing public? Uh, Paul Cantor, I won't give away any secrets, but my sources tell me that there are a number of closeted libertarians in Hollywood. Fringe became overly libertarian in its fifth and final season, even changing its flashcards and its opening credits to emphasize libertarian themes. Can you believe that the show spotlighted ownership in its opening catalog, quote unquote ownership in its opening catalog of the fundamental principles of human existence, even when Hollywood isn't operating with the full fledged principles of Austrian economics, which admittedly is almost all the time, there is a good deal of what might be called left libertarianism in films and television shows. Creative artists often have an instinctive gap of what freedom entails and dyed-in-the-wool libertarians should be prepared to make common cause with such potential fellow travelers. As for the viewing public, it still responds to film and television shows that champion freedom. That is one of the central themes of my book. The American tradition of independence and self-reliance may no longer be as strong as it once was, but but it has not died out. Thus, the public continues to exert pressure on the entertainment industry to come up with visions of freedom. This is especially true in the case of science fiction, which is why my book dwells so much on flying saucers, alien invasions, and parallel universes. It doesn't hurt that when it comes to shape-shifting aliens, I'm still a little kid at heart, but I hope that I found an intellectual and libertarian justification for my incurably adolescent taste in films and especially TV shows. People are always telling me to watch Downtown Abbey, and I ask them, does it have a libertarian vampire in it? <laughs> uh, anyway, great little article. And I totally have to agree with Paul Cantor on his, I also have an incurable adolescent taste in films and especially TV shows. As many of the listeners of this show know, I actually did a whole two part or uh, a multi-episode section um, on power Rangers. I mean, how much more adolescent can you get? <laughs> uh, anyway, it's interesting. And, and to his point, um, no, there, I, I can't think of really the form of entertainment out there that is like overtly libertarian. You know, I can't think of the TV series or I can't think of the movie, uh, that, that does that. By the way, if my voice sounds a little funny, I'm actually a little, my nose is a little stuffy right now. So sorry about that. But anyway, we'll keep going. Um, you know, there's the movie Silver Circle, which that is definitely overtly libertarian. Is it perfect to my principles of anarchism? No, n not not at all, uh, especially because, like, I could really kind of care less about silver, you know, overall. <laughs> and I don't think it's the future of the world as to where, you know, the Silver Circle movie kind of did that. Still, you know, incredibly enjoyable film and really well done. I'm not I am not knocking Silver Circle for one second. Um 
anyway, uh, you know, so, so there's no perfect, uh, libertarian themed show out there. I do find that impressive that fringe, you know, implies self ownership, ownership, you know, as an individualism essentially in its opening credits. That is awesome. I totally agree. Uh, and I also, I can say that, yeah, I do know some Hollywood folks and they are kind of libertarian. I, I mean, I, they're not, you know, they're, they're not even like, they might not even be, you know, Ron Paul types, you know, maybe more of a Rand Paul type if we can somehow classify libertarians that way. Um, but they're, they're pretty close, you know, I mean, and, and they definitely, you know, down the line, of course, a lot of these, these ideas are even new to them. Okay. I mean, that has to be understood, but it, it's out there, you know, and, and, equal, you know, another thing too, because yeah, you know, there's a lot of people say that, well, you know, Hollywood's very socially, socially liberal. Well, what's wrong with that? Who cares? Good. I'm socially liberal. Uh, I'm extremely socially liberal. I am, I am so far against social conservatism. It hurts some people anyway. Uh, you know, so, so that's okay. Um, now do I think that you can go out there and, you know, watch TV or, or, you know, suggest forms of entertainment and say to somebody that, Hey, you know, well, it's just like in this episode of blah, blah, blah. Uh, I think that argument falls pretty bad. Uh, you know, I, 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 those really annoy me. Uh, I know people that, that have done that. I know people who've at funerals for tragic deaths have said, well, you remember that episode of Smallville where this happened to somehow like try and soften a blow by comparing it to popular culture. And I, and I enjoy popular culture. Please don't misunderstand. But I, I think that's just incredibly inauthentic and worthless, uh, to do that. So, you know, I, I applaud Paul Cantor's like look into things and this show to some degree is a look into it is a geeking out and finding liberty in a lot of times in forms of entertainment. That is an absolute fact. I do that. Um, but to find like, you know, anti-government or small government, um, arguments, a little bit of a stretch. Babylon five kind of does that, but then it, you know, it, it, it like claims this whole like secession and small government thing. Uh, in fact, I, I'm other than it being a military coup of sorts, I'm sure, you know, Babylon five would be wonderful if the history of the free state project read like that. Uh, but it, probably won't but in the end they create the interstellar alliance which is you know this gigantic government that spans you know worlds upon worlds even though there's some autonomy within that uh so anyway so even in great shows like that and make no mistake babylon 5 is the greatest show in television history that is a fact of life uh <laughs> that's my opinion I'm, I'm being funny um but you know even that isn't isn't perfect as, as far as uh you know, as, as far as idea ideals go. Uh, so I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know how much merit there is into looking into these things to find this stuff. In fact, even to make it worse, you take something like Atlas shrugged. Okay. Uh, and maybe at some point I'll talk about Atlas shrugged for like pick of the week. Uh, the book itself is obviously as Murray Rothbard said is the greatest libertarian novel ever written. I think that's still true. Uh, it's better than the black arrow as good as the black arrow is, uh, by Vincent Prinowitz. Uh, you know, it, I mean, it just blows them all away still, even with its imperfections, it's glaring imperfections, uh, like the patent system or being supportive of the patent system. But you take the movies of Atlas shrugged and like, you want to say, okay, whew, wow. Okay. Because Atlas shrugged's a huge book, right now. Nobody has to read Atlas shrugged. Now they can just go and watch the movies and, those movies are they're okay 
but they took out everything I loved about the books, <laughs> about the book. You know, they, I mean, they literally, they took out everything. They made it clean because, and, and, and I'm sorry if, if, if my, if me railing on social conservatism, is, I, I actually didn't want to do that at all in this episode, but I guess it's happened. Um, because I, you know, I don't want to like be beating people over the head with it, uh, or at least not openly. <laughs> um, but with, with the movies, it's so socially conservative as to where the book wasn't. The book was like, you know, where Dagny, I mean, Dagny sleeps with multiple men. Dagny, you know, says I am an animal and that my greatest pleasure is that, you know, I get to sleep with Hank Reardon and all this stuff. I mean, it's just very, very sexual. It has an incredibly sexy uh, scene in it uh, on page two. There. Well, ne- never mind. It depends on what version you have. Uh, but that's how well I, I love that scene. And it, it's totally wiped out of the movies. In fact, in the second movie, there's a point where where Dagny and Hank are laying down in bed and, it, it, you know, they go to sleep at night and then they wake up the next morning and they're both dressed like in suits, <laughs> like like Hank Reardon's wearing a business suit and Dagny's wearing a blouse and skirt. What the hell? <laughs> Just to keep it clean. Come on. So anyway, I, I don't know how much there is to find out there as far as liberty goes in pop culture. Um but it is out there, and certainly the social liberal aspects are, and maybe that's what's most important. But uh, yeah, interesting blog post, uh, and, and timely, considering a lot of these summer movies. So, this is Brian Sovereign. I'll be back with more. Once upon a time, long before the dawn of digital technology and social media, analog dinosaurs roamed the Earth. Free thinkers relied on underground newspapers to spread their radical ideas. If you thought that underground newspapers were extinct, pick up a copy of Obsolete Magazine from Obsolete Press. Each issue of this old-school newsprint tabloid is packed with original DIY articles, counterculture essays, science fiction stories, and artwork by a list of international contributors who are dedicated to smashing the status quo. Obsolete Magazine is available from obsolete-press.com, and Obsolete Press offers special discounts to readers who use Bitcoin. Social media is great, but Obsolete offers a reading experience unlike anything on the web. The underground newspaper is alive and well. Read Obsolete and get your hands dirty. Wow! It's a website of the week. It is time for Website of the Week, where I cover websites uh, that I find particularly interesting, uh, enjoyable, useful, uh, you name it. And this week, you know, in the last segment, we were talking about how you can't really find a whole lot of Liberty themes out there. And and it's true. Or, or But maybe you can find like socially liberal ones. Well, here's the king of social liberalism okay uh though interestingly he doesn't drink or uh do drugs like like myself uh you know i don't do any of that either and i I could have been inspired by this guy not to do any of that stuff but anyway it's fine if you do um and what this is this is actually a youtube channel now i featured youtube channels before um so you know this isn't outlandish they're they may as well be websites. I mean, Google's certainly trying to make them such to like with the, the, uh, the YouTube one, uh, design concept that they've been laying out for a while. And this is, this is so great. This is really, really new. It's only, I doubt even a couple months old. And this is so exciting for a ton of reasons. Um, I've talked about, I've quoted this guy. I've talked about him before. Great friend, uh, Harlan Ellison's YouTube channel. And it's just called Harlan Ellison's channel. And it's, 
I mean, this is great because this is the guy that swore I'm, I'm just never going to be on computers. I don't use computers. I don't care about computers. Uh, I'm not going to email. I don't do any of that. In fact, I can't email the guy. I mean, there's just, you know, his wife, Susan uses all that stuff, but he won't touch it for anything. And yet miraculously miracle of miracles, you know, almost makes you believe in a God. But of course, Harlan would tell you differently and make sure to set you straight. (laughs) Um, you know, he, he's doing YouTube videos. Now he's, he's doing some original stuff, uh, where he's like kind of memoir kind of things where like, there's a video, a great video about 12 minutes long, I think where he talks about, uh, you know, what it was like to march with Martin Luther King. Um, and also, you know, he, he, the other great thing, and this is, this is the true joy. This is the gem. You are going to watch these over and over again. I promise you. Uh, as long as you can handle kind of the, the visceralness of them. Um, he released there. He did it. He used to do a section for the sci-fi channel back when the sci-fi channel was cool. This was the nineties. And, uh, you know, he did, it was called Harlan Ellison's watching, which is uh, an homage to the uh, name of one of his books. Um, and he would do for like four, three, four minutes. Uh, there was a show called sci-fi buzz that he would, you know, he, they, they do a quick clip with him every once in a while. And I would, when I was a kid, I totally watched sci-fi buzz just waiting, uh, for that segment to come up because it was always just pure gold, uh, of thought, uh, very social liberal thought. Um, I mean, Harlan Ellison's not perfect. He enjoys intellectual property, uh, which I would disagree, which I would and have disagreed with him on. Um, and you know, he kind of enjoys his government, but, uh, depending on who's there, <laughs> But also the government has hated him. Uh, he was on Richard Nixon's hit list, literally. Uh, so, I mean, this, this guy, just the, the thought again, not nowhere near, like we talked about in the last segment, just, there isn't really that other than in some books, there just isn't that entertainment out there. That's really like that, that, that pure, you could say for, for lack of a better phrase, I don't like using that, that kind of terminology, but, uh, but anyway, check this out and you know, you might watch it. And you, and, and you'll say to yourself, wow, this, this presentation style sounds awfully familiar. I mean, they're only three, four minute clips, but you're going to say, this, this, I, sw- I swear this sounds like somebody I know that I listen to now. Anyway, you can email me and let me know what you think. Uh, if you happen to enjoy Harlan Ellison's channel on YouTube, the link is in the show notes. Uh, you know, so just click on it there because it's a YouTube channel link. It doesn't have a full website name. Anyway, I'll be back with more. Time now for 90 Seconds on Sex with Dr. Paul. Our teenage pregnancy rate is five times higher in the U.S. than in the Netherlands. Yet in the Netherlands, sex is considered to be normal for a 16 or 17-year-old. Instead of sneaking out, If a teenager has a relationship with another teen, they're expected to have sex at home and use birth control that's more effective than condoms. But they're also taught something else. In the Netherlands, teens are taught that sex is part of a relationship and that the boy or girl who you're having sex with needs to be accepted by your family and almost become a part of the family. Well, so much for teenagers getting drunk and hooking up. Here in the States, We view teenage sexuality as a danger that's to be avoided or delayed as long as possible. Instead of welcoming sex as a normal part of growing up, we've tried to extinguish it with abstinence-only sex education, 
or we treat it like a disease and limit our discussion to a harm reduction mantra called safe sex. Now, whether they're in the Netherlands or the United States, teens are going to have sex, but instead of having helpful discussions with our teens about sex and relationships, we throw the words abstinence or safe sex at them. As a result, our teens pay five times the price for doing what's normal. For more, visit 90secondsonsex.com. It is time for listener emails where I cover the questions that get sent to me at SovereignTech at Hush.ai, SovereignTech.com, even uh, on Twitter. And yes, you can follow SovereignTech on Twitter. We are getting new followers every single day. It is awesome. It is so cool how much uh, Sovereign Tech is growing on Twitter. And actually, overall, and on SoundCloud, now I can track a lot of the numbers, but every month, the listenership of the show is going up by about 25%, sometimes more. That's why I say about. Uh, And thank you so much for listening. I I really appreciate it. Maybe one day we'll get so big that my one of my true dreams can come true where Leo Laporte asks me to be on This Week in Tech on twit, uh, which I would absolutely love to, to, to be on that. That would be a true honor, even though I, I may have to tone it down, but I don't know. <laughs> I was listening to, to last week's this week in tech. Uh, and of course, Veronica Belmont was on and, and she, she's, she's just wonderful. Um, and they were having a lot of fun, but <laughs> it's simply, I mean, there's points of that show that were downright sexy where Leo's saying, it's like, yeah, well, my, my phone screen is 6.6 inches. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, and he did it with entendre and it, 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 oh, that was good stuff. Uh, so anyway, you know, maybe, Hey, maybe they're already checking out sovereign tech, who knows? And, uh, and it's rubbing off on them or I'm rubbing, you know, cause I mean, this is what I do. I spill the seed of Liberty as far as I can, <laughs> which, uh, if you're wondering where that phrase came from, I can't take credit for it. Uh, listener of the show actually sent a, a just a very nice email uh, where she, she said, you know, to, to keep up the good work and keep spilling the seed of Liberty. Uh, anyway, I got a lot of email, kind of negative email about, uh, last week. I, well, I got a lot of email before asking me, Hey, could you please talk about bitcoins and cryptocurrencies and what's going on? You know? Um, and I actually, I got, I got a lot of heat from what I had to say. Uh, and I didn't, I, I think most of that listener email section, uh, I'd have to listen back, but I think most of it, I mean, I, I wasn't even talking about Bitcoin. I only got to that like towards the end, but I guess what I said was, was, was pretty hot. And, uh, so you know, so people responded. Um, I've got emails, people saying, well, I can't believe you're against Bitcoin. What kind of anarchist are you? Um, you know, don't you realize that Bitcoin is promoting half of uh, libertarian media? Well, for starters, uh, Bitcoin is not in any way, shape or form pushing this show. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, it's just not, now I did accept, I did have an open availability to accept Bitcoin for a while, uh, because people were asking to donate. Okay. But I mean, there's, it, whatever. Anyway. (laughs) Um, so, you know, I got a a lot of heat for that. And so to, to answer the question, um, no, you know, I'm not against Bitcoin at all. I'm, I'm very pro Bitcoin. Okay. I'm just not like, Oh, Bitcoin is the one and only thing. Everything is Bitcoin. Bitcoin is all no, 
<laughs> it's not. You know, I mean, hell, I like Litecoin better, quite frankly. That doesn't make me anti-Bitcoin just because, uh, you know, just because, say, someone, you know, likes children more than they like old people doesn't make them, you know, anti-old person. <laughs> So I'm not anti-Bitcoin by any stretch of the imagination. Yes, I do hold the opinion that I don't think Bitcoin will be the one, you know, because we're looking for economic freedom as much as we're looking for personal freedom. That's a fact. And to some degree, they're very correlated. Okay. But I do not think I just my opinion right now that that Bitcoin is going to be the one that that you know, that stands the test of time. And that actually ends up toppling the governments because of counter economy. Okay. Uh, that's just my opinion. Take it for what it's worth. Okay. Do I think Litecoin might do that? Yeah, maybe because now why do I think that? Well, partly because I think Litecoin will be able to learn from everything that's happening to Bitcoin. And there's a lot going on every day. There's something going on with Bitcoin. Um, also, Litecoin can learn because it's on the script model. And that doesn't mean it's perfect. That doesn't mean it's protected from all these things that happen to these other cryptocurrencies. Okay. Um, but with, with Litecoin, it can also learn from anything else that, that can be affected by ASICs. Like a lot of the other, like TerraCoin and, and FeatherCoin and all of them, they all run, they, they can all be attacked by ASICs that work on Bitcoin as well. It's where there's no ASIC yet, yet. I know yet. Okay. I mean, wow. When you get something wrong with Bitcoin, I mean, <laughs> I mean, people just, they, they, they chew you out. You know, you, you got to bring the goods, uh, when you talk about Bitcoin and, and that's fine. I understand people are very passionate about it. Some people have become millionaires about it, uh, you know, because of it and good for you. I, I applaud, uh, the fact that you are, I, I, I think that's fantastic. Tremendous foresight on your part. Um, and you know, awesome. So anyway, uh, you know, there's no ASIC that can affect Litecoin yet. And, but because of that, Litecoin can look and the developers are making things happen. Uh, I've heard that right from the horse's mouths, you know, that, that, that they are making changes with Litecoin, you know, not necessarily the kind of changes Gavin Andreessen does or is drastic, but, um, you know, th there are changes happening and I think a lot of it has to do with is that they can look at all the other cryptocurrencies and they can look at Bitcoin and they can create a more complete product. They can make a more mature product a lot faster, uh, which is, which is interesting. You know, now again, am I saying Litecoin is the one? No, it might not be. It might be something totally different. I mean, Bitcoin, you know, actually a zero coin which you can, you can look into that zero coin is a way to make Bitcoin like way more anonymous. Um, if zero coin gets implemented, then maybe Bitcoin might still, you know, be the champ, but at, at present point, you know, no, I don't see Bitcoin as being the, the longstanding winner. Um, and I would have, I would have thought differently a few months back. I'll admit it. I, I would have, I would have felt that, yeah, Bitcoin, you know, would have, probably would I, I actually like coin i was still very excited about back then um but you know i would have said that yeah bitcoin's going to be you know around for for some time um now do i think that you know investing in bitcoin because it's not the, you know it's not going to be the the long-term contender uh you know is a bad idea no because i think that whatever is to come can easily be converted from bitcoin because they're both already digital um so anyway, you know, I, I was, I was really shocked and, and, 
it's funny because the first time that this show, I mean, I don't know, I was maybe four or five episodes in, if that, when I did a Bitcoin special, I got a couple facts wrong about Bitcoin. And I, I mean, impressively, a lot of people listened to the show. Like, I mean, it just blew up. Somebody posted in the Bitcoin forums and it just went nuts. You know, like, like it was, it's not the most listened to episode anymore, but it was at the time by leaps and bounds, uh, just because I talked about Bitcoin. And I did kind of an introduction and, and most people thought it was pretty good, you know, for what, for what it was, but there was a couple of, uh, a couple of little facts that were off and apparently a bunch of people cringed, blah, blah, blah. And good for them. They can do their own Bitcoin show, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, then everybody can go and listen to their, to their perfection. Um, there is a Bitcoin show out there though, that I actually do consider perfect. It's let's talk Bitcoin. I mentioned that in the last episode. Uh, and that's actually part of the reason I don't talk about Bitcoin a lot on this show. Um, it's important, no doubt about it, but I'll cover, you know, other areas. If you want to hear about Bitcoin, please go to letstalkbitcoin.com. The lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy uh, is on there, who is also the producer of this show. Um, there's Andreas Antonopoulos, who I've personally met and had dinner with. Incredible guy. Brilliant brilliant human being uh so check that out too okay <laughs> i mean i mean there's just and of course adam b levine you know the, the who that's his baby you know let's talk bitcoin is his brainchild um you know ha, has great insights as well and, and and the production values are just in my opinion second to none i love it i love the presentation it's just an enjoy totally enjoyable show to listen to and they put in a lot of work and they deserve all the adulation listeners and anything else they get from it because it's that good. Uh, so anyway, so, you know, if you want to know more about Bitcoin, I definitely recommend looking into that. If there's some kind of big story, like I talked about that Bitcoin meeting earlier where we have no clue what the hell the Bitcoin foundation and the government, uh, you know, heads came to, you know, what, what kind of, what, what kind of agreements, what kind of, uh, uh, future outlook they both, uh, you know, had walking away or, or whatever. Um, you know, so I'll bring up a little, you know, if there's something really big like that, I will definitely talk about it. Make no mistake. Um, but again, you know, it's just th this show will concentrate on other things, uh, unless Bitcoin really does just become, you know, that big of a deal, uh, to where it is the only thing that you could possibly talk about. So, you know, Anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, that, that's some of my thoughts on that. And the, the other thing was that some people emailed like asking, you know, what did you mean by, cause in the last episode, I also made mention, um, and I'm not going to do this a lot where the listener email section is a response to the previous week. Uh, you know, I like to get to new questions and, but anyway, sometimes it's important. And, um, you know, they asked, what did I mean by the fact that I'm a historian, and not a technologist. Now, I didn't mean I'm not a technologist uh, or that I'm not a tech journalist of a type or, you know, that I'm not into technology or that I'm not incredibly knowledgeable about technology. All I am all of those. Okay. Um, but what I meant by that is that my first passion and what actually gives a lot of my perception on pretty much everything, any matter, techno technological or you know, go down the list, um, philosophy, whatever in life. Uh, I look through the lens of history and I have a pretty substantial, 
you know, I don't know if it ever got directly stated on this show, but I know when I've had a guest on, you know, the, the, I mean, they, they, they came right out and said, and I don't need the pat on the back, but they came right out and said that, that you know, they, that I really have an incredible knowledge of history. And I do. Okay. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not being braggadocious here. I'm just saying. Uh, so, you know, I have a lot of history in my, in my data bank, you know, in, in my brain to, to access and to look through everything through that lens. And I do. And I think it's important. Um, I think, you, you know, actually, we talked about Harlan Ellison earlier. He stated years and years ago that every fan of science fiction should also be a historian because you know, the, the whole point of science, science fiction is such a hopeful thing because it, it's talking about tomorrow, that there actually will be a tomorrow. Um, but that, you know, since there is a tomorrow, you want to stay away from the, you know, the, 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 the axiom that, uh, that George Santayana made, which is those who do not remember history are doomed to repeat it. And I think that's true. Now I'm trying and doing this show is part of my efforts in that. Honestly, I want a new world. I want a new culture. Okay. I want a bright future, the whole business. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I'm trying, yes, I'm trying to be, I myself, like the saying goes, I'm trying to be the change that I want to see in the world. Um, and I want things to be quite frankly, so drastically different from perhaps the way it's never been in human history. I want society and culture to be, uh, you know, drastically, drastically different, far more drastic than I guarantee than, than just about any other, um, I'll say podcaster or major minded libertarian, maybe not as dressed, you know, I, I mean, I wouldn't put myself above like Wes, uh, um, you know, West from, from West Bertrand from, from complete Liberty. Or I wouldn't put myself above Dr. Stephanie Murphy, but, uh, you know, w with that in mind, I still look back, you know, as drastic as, as the changes I want, I look back to history and I make sure I'm not going to repeat it by thinking my new idea is somehow actually not new. So that's when I say that I'm a historian kind of first and foremost. I'll be back with more. Thanks for the emails. Got an energy spike. Launch. In the third age of mankind, an age plagued by an evil empire that seeks to destroy humanity. It is our last, best hope for peace. It is Babylon 5. All fighter squadrons launched. Return fire. Well, freeze them. Watch Babylon 5. You can watch Babylon 5 and experience the greatest show in television history. See the entire series completely free by going to the wb.com slash shows slash Babylon 5. Software of the Week. It is time for Software of the Week where I cover pieces of software that are often terrible or sometimes really great. And, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and thank you so much. I do get a lot of emails where people say, Hey, thank you for pointing out this piece of software. I, I'm using it now. It's wonderful. Thank you. Uh, awesome. So anyway, this is something that I'm very, very intrigued by, uh, you know, a, a really important piece of software now that most people 
really, you know, think to themselves they couldn't do without. Uh, and I understand. I kind of feel the same way. Uh, our navigation apps, you know, map software. Uh, like Google Maps, you know, or what Nokia does, or even Apple Maps, uh, which interesting point, Apple Maps can apparently find my house as to where Google Maps cannot. Uh, <laughs> so Apple Maps isn't all that bad. Uh, but anyway, this is kind of a, a third option. And I call it the third option because the original third option that was out there was Waze. Uh, but Waze is now, you know, Waze is, was this awesome because it had like a social element to it to where people could tell you where there's accidents or where, uh, you know, a cop was sitting on a highway and things like that. Really, really cool stuff that Waze could do. Um, but now Waze is owned by Google, by Google. And actually a lot of ways like the, the accident reports and things like that are now starting to show up in Google maps. Uh, so it's there, it's happening ways is going away. So what is the third option? If you don't want Google getting all your info and you know, and you're not using iOS to, to be able to use Apple maps, or you're not using windows phone to be able to use Nokia, um, you know, what, what, what's out there? Well, there's something called Scobler. Okay. And you can find out about it at scobler.com S K O B B L E R. And they offer a few different, they, they actually, in fact, they even offer a maps pro maps program native for, uh, the, the Kindle fire, Amazon's Kindle fire. Um, it uses the, what's called open street map, which is an open source map system, uh, which is really, really cool. I mean, again, if you, if you're a supporter of open source, which I often am as well, uh, that's definitely the one you want to be using you know, <laughs> and because it's not like Google where they're using ingress to, tr you know, trick everybody into, <laughs> into telling you, um, you know, where, uh, you know, where everything is. Uh, but anyway, that's another story. Not that I'm opposed to Google doing that, but, but boy, that's a hell of a trick, uh, with ingress there. Um, anyway, so there's GPS navigation and maps for Android, uh, which I have used and I've used it with uh, great success. It has a nice, it's a British, it's, it's a, it's a company, it's a European company. And so the, the English uh, voice that, that speaks for it is, uh, is, you know, it has a British accent, uh, which, you know, especially when you use a, a woman voice sounds incredibly sexy. So I enjoy that much better than the voice that Google uses on Google maps. Uh, you know, but anyway, so it uses, it, it also, it doesn't just do, um, driving directions, but it also does walking directions just like Google maps does. It's a really, really good. I mean, there's a couple areas where it doesn't know the specifics so well, especially New Hampshire. New Hampshire is kind of backwoods in and of itself. And that's not a negative thing. Uh, that can be a very attractive thing to some people. Um, so there's some things it doesn't know, you know, in New Hampshire that I noticed, but when I was out, out of state, it did a great job, it did a phenomenal job. And even in state, it did a fine job. It's just, it wasn't, you know, admittedly, it wasn't that perfect. Um, so totally open source. I, I definitely recommend using it, but here's the real beauty. Okay. Is that it can work offline. It doesn't have to have a data connection. Now it's going to take like three gig out of your phone or tablet or whatever you're using, but it can, it does work offline, which is really, really cool. And it's like a dollar for the app for, for GPS navigation to maps, which is the Android map, uh, Android app. Um, that's like a dollar, but you get a free, you choose your country and you get a free offline map and then you can buy more as you go along. But Anyway, I mean, the offline map feature smokes Google Maps on its own, especially when you use a company like Sprint or you live in New Hampshire where there's connection spotty. So check it out, scolder.com. I'll be back with more. 
What does freedom mean? Tune in to LRN.FM to find out. LRN.FM is the Liberty Radio Network, a collection of live talk radio and podcasts, all coming from a principled pro-liberty perspective. LRN.FM show hosts aren't left, right, or conspiracy kooks. You can tune in 24-7 to LRN.FM via your phone, computer, satellite, and more. Listen free anytime at LRN.FM. That's LRN.FM. Ryan, stop playing those video games! Uh, 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 just a minute, Mom. Game Talk. It is time for Game Talk, and where we talk about games on this show. Uh, and don't forget, also now, there is a new section of the show called Game of the Week, where I choose a Game of the Week. And, uh, you know we talk about it. It can be old games, new games, whichever. And so I hope you enjoy that. A lot of people, again, I've said this before, but a lot of people always talk about, thank you so much for talking about games. They're happy about that. And so, you know, I was like, well, I'll give games a few more minutes. And instead of adding more to game talk, just made another section. Uh, but anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that later or we'll get into that later. Uh, right now, now last week, a lot of the show is, is, uh, is just bouncing off of things from last week, but this is good. Uh, I love the fact, thank you all so much always for sending in your emails and your, your, you know, contacting me, how connecting with me, however you decide to do so. I really appreciate it. Um, so, cause it's great because when I actually ask a question on the show, like, what do you think about I think last week I asked, uh, you know, why have humans, why do humans game? Why have they always gamed? Because that's the thing. It's not new. Okay. We talked about that last week in a story where they found game pieces, you know, board game pieces, essentially that are some odd 5,000 years old, at least. So humans have always played games, you know, and, and intricate games, you know, humans have always played not just games like, um, you know, uh, like lacrosse or something, you know, that, that, that the Hadassani would play, uh, but you know, they, they, they play, they would play board games even 5,000 years ago. Okay. So that, that was my question. And I, I got a, I got a pretty good, e- uh, email from, from a listener, who, you know, he shared his thoughts. Uh, and again, unless you want to be specifically mentioned, um, you know, I, I, I will keep you anonymous. Um, uh, and anyway, it goes, you ask for listeners to send you theories on why it is that humanity has been drawn to games for what appears to be most, if not all of our existence. First, one needs to look at what games do for humans. Most would say that it is a pressure valve that we can use to vent off the pressures of life and, or to escape from said life. A lot of people condemn condemn games as a frivolous waste of time. This is an unenlightened simplification of what games do for humans that overlooks the very question of what is a game. A game is a simulation slash recreation of specific environmental laws that test and develop your skills in creating a desired outcome in a way that is both stimulating and pleasurable. In other words, fun. I have yeah, I got to say this. I have such, such an intelligent audience. I really thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I'm reaching out to, to, uh, the quote unquote, right people. Uh, anyway. Um, and I agree. I, I, I think that's a pretty good way to describe a game that it's, uh, you know, it's a simulation or recreation of specific environmental laws that test and develop your skills in creating a desired outcome in a way that is both stimulating and pleasurable, i.e. fun. 
Back with the email. Playing games is one of, if not the oldest form of the scientific theory. Uh, to play a game, you, you first, first you must observe whatever it is within nature you wish to simulate. Then you create a hypothesis as to how you could simulate it. Then experiment by trying it out. And then the game is sharing the results with others and getting feedback. I agree with all that as well. People have a common misconception of education due to the corrupt system that they are forced into by the popularized school program of society. It is unnatural for us to learn, cut off from nature, listening to somebody rant as we sit at desks and look at papers. You can find the remnant of how humans learn by observing how children learn in their infancy. The process the children use to learn and develop and educate themselves on their new existence is creative play. Or in other words games by condemning games they are not only condemning recreation they are condemning the very means that humans use to educate themselves on existence brilliant my opinion absolutely brilliant i i i think that may if that's not the only reason it sure as hell's the core uh very e emailer thank you so much for, for sharing that. Um, I, that is incredibly deep and I think accurate. Uh, and I, I think, you know, that that's something that, that really anybody, you know, should, should really contemplate. Um, games aren't just, you know, about, uh, people living out their violent fantasies, if that's even what they are doing. Um, and, and I, I mean, I just, I, I think this, this hits it. Games are how the world is learned. Creative play is how the world, like, like the emailer said, children learn by testing, by creative play and games. And that is a game in and of itself. So why have humans always played games? Because it's the very nature of learning. It's the very nature of collecting knowledge. And if we are born explorers, like so many want to say that we are as humans, then games are one of the integral parts of that. I mean, you know, game talk doesn't just have to be video games, even though that, that comes up all the time. Um, I'd love to talk about some board games like risk. I love risk. Uh, you know, as much as I despise the idea of military conquest, I still enjoy the game. Um, but I, I just, I, I think this is tremendous. If you have other thoughts, you know, please, please email them in. I mean, because this is something there's some, you know, I'll admit, I, I hadn't thought about that, that quite frankly, this is how children learn is by playing games and think about it. You know, a baby picks up a block and tosses it across the room. That baby is, you know, essentially figuring out gravity as it goes along. Um, I, I mean, just, just, a, just an incredible, in, in, incredible thought process here, uh, that, that I really, that I really, really enjoy. Um, and, and, and I like the, the way, you know, that, that games are described in this, um, that a game is just a simulation or recreation of specific environmental laws that test and develop your skills in creating a desired outcome in a way that is both stimulating and pleasurable. In other words, fun that, that spot on, um, now it's interesting because a lot of people will say, well, but games often lead you in certain directions, um, you know, but so how is that learning when, you know, there's only one set outcome? Well, two points on that. 
if you think that games have a set outcome. Uh, I mean, that's true. A lot of them do have a set outcome. That's a fact. But the first point I want to bring up, and this is the obvious one, is that this, this would explain what's so enticing and so enjoyable about op- what they call open sandbox games, okay, like Grand Theft Auto. Now, does Grand Theft Auto sell millions of copies because at heart everybody wants to steal cars you know, get in the back of the car with a hooker. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know, maybe the second one, a lot of people want to do, uh, or go around, you know, en masse killing people. No, no, it's not that. I think it's because it's such an incredible recreation of, of the freedom of movement that it's so popular. It's because it's not that said outcome. It's where there, you know, there's certain environmental laws and you get to go nuts with it without, you know, so much worrying about consequences. Now, that doesn't mean that people, you know, everybody just wants to go nuts and and, and go, like I said, and go on a killing spree. Okay. But it is an interesting way to learn, to test hypotheses that your brain has always wondered about. And even a hypothesis is like, what is it like to jump out of a helicopter? Okay. Since most people don't want to commit suicide, you know, but they do wonder what the hell that's like. A game allows you to test that theory in life. It really does. I mean, because, and, and cause consider it, how many, how the, the amount of time the developers put into real world physics into these games. I mean, it's true. The second point I want to make is that even games with fixed, you know, like very linear and with a fixed outcome per se, even in those people will get what they want out of them and explore what they want out of them. And my case in point for that are the Tomb Raider games. Um, I know there's a lot of people who will want to come out and say, now recently they actually are very good games, but there's a lot of people who want to say that, yeah, I played Tomb Raider two and three. Notice I'm not saying one, but I played Tomb Raider two and three, uh, because they were great games. no, they weren't that great of games. And there were so many clones of that kind of game, that kind of puzzler game by that time. Uh, I mean, you could play Zelda f- forever and you get a much better uh, experience out of it. Um, you played it because you wanted to test your hypotheses with Lara Croft. Okay. Um, so anyway, I think I agree. I think this is the core of why humans have always played games. It's testing reality. And that's great. I'll be back with more. Are you searching for a mouth-watering, all-natural, sweet and sticky treat? What if I told you it was also made by a chef who believes in freedom, just like you? You're not dreaming. This is real. Head over to mandrik.com. That's M-A-N-D-R-I-K.com. There you'll find George's famous baklava in classic and dark chocolate flavors. Mm. To those with special health needs, George's famous baklava also has a treat for you. Golden Delicious Low-Carb Gluten-Free Almond Cookies. Order with PayPal or Bitcoins. In just a few days, your sweet treats will await you right at your doorstep. One more time, that's M-A-N-D-R-I-K dot com for George's Famous Bacaba. Hacker Stories it is time for Hacker Stories, where I cover security issues or I talk about some of the real heroes on this planet, that being hackers. Uh, black hat, white hat, gray hat, whatever. I think they are heroes. They are discovering. They are testing reality. They are playing the game of life in a digital age. 
No doubt about it. Um, like we talked about in the last segment. Anyway, uh, this week, you know, we, like I said earlier in the show, we are in a post prism world, you know, just like there was a post nine 11 world, uh, what that did to the physical world, perhaps, you know, the post prism world is doing to the mental or the idea world. Um, and this is a, this is a really great article. It's from wired, uh, by Clint Finley and it's open sourcers pitch secure email in dark age of prism, uh, with the specter of government surveillance hanging over this post prism world. Like I said, people are beginning to wonder if the idea of secure email is complete nonsense. Ever since the former National Security Agency contractor Edward Snowden leaked documents revealing the extent of the spy agency's monitoring activities, many are convinced that email can never be completely safe from prying eyes, and some have even given it up entirely. In recent weeks, two services that promised to offer completely secure email, Lavabit and Silent Circle, have shut down, apparently because they couldn't stop the government from breaking their security. But the reality is, is that email is an integral part of both our personal and professional lives, something that most of us can't give up with without alienating friends and family and ditching our day jobs. We have no choice but to find new ways making it, of making it safe. Email is going to be with us for a long time, says Bajarni Runar Anderson, a software developer and member of the Icelandic Pirate Party. We need to do what we can to make it more secure. And Arson is doing his part with MailPile, an open source web-based email client that you can run on your own on your own computer or in the cloud. With this creation, he hopes to make it easier for everyday users to encrypt their email without giving up the sort of search tools they get from a service like Google's Gmail. The team has already raised over $100,000 on the crowdfunding site Indiegogo to fund its future development. It's a tough time to pitch secure email, but that's what Anerson is doing, and it only makes sense. Despite the fallout from Snowden's leaks, privacy experts realize that most of us can't help but use email and that our only choice is to secure it as best we can. Those of us that are going to stay online need to determine the tools that are best for us, says Rainey Reitman, the director of the activism team at the Electronic Frontier Foundation. The government may have the technical means to reach public email services and... Uh, with national security letters it may have other ways of getting at our messages but we can minimize these threats and that's what MailPile aims to do an arson on ex, an ex-googler he worked at google points out that one of the biggest problems with email is that large providers like gmail make tempting targets for both malicious hackers and overzealous governments how great is that to read and wired <laughs> a nice jab at, at governments, uh, a government service or a hacker with direct access to Google could tap thousands, perhaps millions of email boxes. But if no single email provider had such a large user base, governments and attackers would have a much harder time. It's more expensive to subpoena hundreds of thousands of email providers all over the world than it is to subpoena one big target like Gmail, and Arson says. Yes, you can already sign up for an email account with an alternative hosting provider and move your email into a client like Thunderbird. But Gmail has changed people's expectations about how email should work, particularly with regard to search. If you decide to switch from Gmail to another provider, you may find the tools sorely lacking. That's what happened to Arson a few years ago. I'd become addicted to being able to search and process large volumes of email quickly, he says. When I started to become uncomfortable with using a proprietary solution living in the cloud, I began to look for alternatives and couldn't find anything. I had a realization of how I could design something that would function like Gmail in my own computer home. So I wrote the code and it worked. 
Uh, bear in mind, this is something we talked about that about this on on this show uh, on Sovereign Tech before. That Mega uh, Kim dot com is actually trying to come up with his own email service that uh, doesn't store anywhere, so it's decentralized, much like uh, an Arson's talking about, and also um, you know it has the search capability that Gmail has. So, you know, the, the, these possibilities are coming out there, but mail piles out there as to where Mega's solution is being developed. And, you you know, you can't even beta test it as far as I know right now. Uh, eventually, he reached out to fellow. This is an arson. Eventually, he reached out to fellow Icelandic developer and activist Mary McCarthy, and the two started to build a more fully realized application. But while they'd solved the search issue, they knew wh- that if they wanted people to actually use the product, it would have to be as easy to use and as att- attractive as Gmail. So in May, they showed their prototype to Brennan Novak, a Portland, Oregon-based user interface designer. Novak's biggest task is to make the application security and privacy tools more accessible to average users. Most major email clients have plugins and ad support and that ad support for encryption, uh, Mailvelope for Gmail, uh, Mail for Thunderbird or GPG tools for Apple mail, for example, but PGP encryption remains notoriously cumbersome to use. Uh, because those things are plugins that don't have access to your entire client, Novak says, for example, the one for Apple mail is really good, but it doesn't have access to the address book. He believes that tighter integration from the beginning will make the difference. Even if Novak doesn't get the interface right, MailPile is providing an open source platform that other designers can easily modify because it's built on web technologies such as, such as HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Web designers will have an easier time contributing uh, alternative user interfaces and templates. He says that's actually one of the biggest advantages to MailPile. It will give people the chance to experiment with the platform in ways you could never tinker with Gmail. We need a free software project where people can innovate on these things and add features, says Anarson. When you're working with a pro- pro- proprietary system in the cloud, you have limited options. Novak points out that even if they can make PGP easy to use, they'll still need to encourage adoption by other users. You can have the most secure email client and email server in the world, but if the person you're sending messages to doesn't follow good security practices, you're wasting your time. The key, Novak says, will be in getting people who already have encryption keys to get other people to sign up as well. My goal is to make it like sending a friend request on a social network, he says. MailPile's encryption tools could indeed make email more secure, but there are still risks. Even those using PGP to encrypt messages will leave behind information such as uh, who they exchange messages with, even if the contents of those messages have been read. It's, uh, it's like having a log of your phone conversation. Someone can tell who you talk to and when, but they don't know what you actually said. If you're actually concerned that someone will know who you're communicating with, that's not something that PGP can help. Reitman says she says secure real time chat tools like the off the record plugin for pigeon and Adium instant message clients are an anonymous file uploading system. Like the New Yorkers open source project dead drop might be better under some circumstances, but for those stuck in the world of email, a tool like MailPile offers some hope. It won't stop a national security letter, but it's something. Okay, so MailPile, you can check that out, like MailPile.com. There's links in the show notes, of course, for Sovereign Tech that you know where you can find that um, in the story itself. And yeah, you know that this is all stuff that's very, very important to consider now. Now that we know that yes, people really are reading your emails, even on Gmail. We talked about this last week as well, where uh, Gmail. You know, Kathy Reisenwitz is this great story where, where she was talking about the fact that Google is saying, guess what? Do not expect privacy with your email. Just don't. Don't expect it. Um, 
these kind of things need to be developed. Well, they don't need to be, but it's nice that they're being developed. Okay. Uh, and, and it's interesting and it's amazing how many people are jumping on it, you know, and, and it's almost like martyrs. Like they mentioned lava bit and silent circle, you know, they both went down and now you've got mega, you've got these guys, you've got start page. Um, I mean, there's just a whole list. Even bit message is really an alternative, uh, to e- to email. There's of course, jabber still a big deal, which they, they kind of talked about in this, all these things that people are suddenly like, Whoa, you know, and these, then they're just all coming up from the ground, you know, from the ground up. It's all just coming out of nowhere that these people are saying, Hey, um, yeah, we don't trust anybody. So we're going to develop something that, that we can at least have control over and try and trust as best we can. So this is very exciting. Keep a lookout for this kind of stuff as more and more, uh, I'm actually, I'm going to put up my, my PGP keys, I think in the future for sovereign tech. So that way you can securely email me really securely. Um, this is Sovereign Tech, and I'll be back with more. The most incredible television event ever, as you join the crew of Battlestar Galactica. Right here, you creepy crawly. I have led the entire human race to ruin. The last of mankind, fighting for life in a hostile galaxy. Most of us are dead. Alone, with only one hope, Battlestar Galactica and her crew. There is no other destination. Commander Adama, Captain Apollo, the intrepid Starbuck, and the dazzling Athena, searching for a new and peaceful world. We may as well live for today. We might not have many left. Let the attack begin. New age of high adventure, Battlestar Galactica. It is time for Game of the Week, where we cover, uh, you know, a game that I think is either really great, maybe needs to be revisited, you know, for my listeners to to check out, um, or, you know, something that might even be coming up, you know, uh, like, like, hey, grab this. And I will do that because, you know, a big thing with with games now are like, uh, you know, pre-order bonuses. So if there's something like coming up really fast where, you know, Hey, the pre-order bonus is really cool and you might want to check it out. I'll probably talk about a game of the week and say, you know, this is coming. I got the feeling this is going to be hot, you know, or even with, with a lot of critics, they get these games ahead of time and they can tell you, you know, that the thing's going to be awesome. And so maybe I'll mention it there or anyway, but this week we're going to talk about a game that has already come out. It came out a couple of years ago, came out in the summer of 2011. And this is a game that is, in my opinion, I don't know what happened. The critics seemed to just pan the shit out of it. They hated it. Uh, but I thought it was incredible. Of course, I'm biased, but then really every human being's kind of biased, <laughs> um, especially towards entertain their, their forms of entertainment. Uh, and the game is Duke Nukem forever. And I can just hear listeners laughing right now. <laughs> Because everybody believes the universal panning that 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 this game got uh, that, oh, no, you know, wow, that was terrible. Oh, that was so bad. Uh, The load times were atrocious. Well, let's talk about the load times real quick. That was only true on the PlayStation 3 and the 360 version. If you play it on computer or, you know, if you play it on PC or Mac, uh, the load times were non-existent. I mean, they were just absolutely non-existent. 
Um, so anyway, you know, and, and if you only want to pay $300 or $200 for your gaming system, well then, you know, expect slow load times in my opinion, that that's, that's kind of how I feel on that. But if you, you know, you pay a grand or a couple grand or more on your gaming system, then yeah, if a game has slow load times, okay, that's a problem. You know, that, that's, that's a flaw in the game, but that's not a flaw for Duke Nukem forever. Um, I saw, I mean, it's a first person shooter. If you don't know, if you don't know who Duke Nukem is, I mean, this guy, I mean, Duke Nukem, the character is an absolute video game icon, uh, and Duke Nukem forever. I should do it for a pick of the week, really, because at one, I mean, this is the game in the, this game has the longest development cycle of any game in history. It took 15 years to come out. I remember reading it, reading about it in like 1996, or so, I think it was 96 or 97 in, in, a in an issue of like PC gamer where like, oh yeah, this is going to be the biggest game ever. Now that it came out, everybody says it looks dated. Forget the dated, forget the graphics thing. Stop talking about the graphics that, that argument's over. Okay. Especially with indie games, really the, the whole idea that graphics are somehow important. That's just gone. What matters is content. And I saw this great, great interview with Randy Pitchford who's the head of uh, gearbox software. And he was saying, he's like, don't, he's like, everybody's missing the point. It's Duke Nukem. You know, the game doesn't have to be call of duty. It doesn't have to be battlefield 10 or, or seven or whatever, you know, <laughs> it's Duke Nukem. And he's like, got a throne. You can go around Duke Nukem's house, you know, and there's women and there's all this stuff. And I totally agree. It's, it, it, it was a Duke Nukem experience. It was the perfect Duke Nukem experience. It was great. The The jokes were funny. There's a scene apparently where everybody kind of goes nuts because it's kind of like a rape scene. I think that was a little overblown. Um, and, and again, uh, because like I, I didn't, I usually am kind of sensitive to that sort of stuff and I didn't like, it didn't even, I don't know, cross my radar. Uh, so I don't know why this game got universally panned, but you can probably get it for pretty cheap right now. Or at least wait for it to be on sale on Steam if you want. And there's whole add-on packs now with, I mean, with like 60 more missions. It's like a whole other game. Check it out if you if 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 you played it and you thought it sucked. Try it again. Believe me, you're gonna love it. Duke Nukem Forever. I know it's hard to believe I'd recommend it, but there it is. It's awesome. I'll be back with more. Oh yeah. This is Stephanie Murphy, Sovereign Tech Producer. You may know me from this show, but did you know that I have my own podcast? It's called Pork Therapy. Pork Therapy is a bit different from other shows. We cover current events, big ideas, and even relationship issues, all through the lens of how we can get more freedom in our lives. Oh, and you'll love Sex and Science Hour. Join me on my website, porktherapy.com. That's P-O-R-C therapy.com. Now back to Sovereign Tech. doing i can't believe i caught you again you know jesus doesn't approve of this little habit of yours i know baby i know it's wrong but it feels so right well it ain't but i've been doing it since i was 12 years old (sighs) it's nothing but a sinful perversion of nature if you ask me but baby i don't ever want to stop looking at tech websites new gadgets video games software or any of that stuff well Then I'm leaving. Okay. Bye. Pick of the Week. It is time for Pick of the Week where I get to pretty much geek out. (laughs) 
And I've recently heard that there's other people, including people in the podcast or radio biz, that would like to geek out with me. And uh, you, I will give everybody their, their chance. So <laughs> admittedly, right now, uh, I'm at a point in my life where I'm incredibly busy trying to get to so that I can get to a point where I'm no longer that busy. Uh, but anyway, there it is. And, uh, yeah, I would love to geek out with all of you. Uh, so, you know, honestly, if you want to be a guest on the show, send me an email, sovereigntechandhush.ai. I mean, and, and I'll see if I, if I can't fit you in, even though I've got quite a few people lined up that I'm going to be having on, uh, in the near future. So anyway, but, but Hey, it doesn't hurt to ask. Right. And we can talk about whatever you want to talk about. Sovereign tech is all over the board. So, <laughs> which is how I like it all over the board. <laughs> Uh, anyway, this week I want to talk about something, um, that, oh, boy, <laughs> I, I'm not even sure how to, how to lead, how to lead into this. Um, you know, there seems to be this kind of, this aura going around that apparently for a while, Star Wars wasn't cool to be into for say past the past since 1999. Um, it was not cool to be into star Wars. Um, and I, I inherently disagree. Uh, <laughs> I've always been into star Wars. I have consumed pretty much every possible piece of, of star Wars, um, fiction, uh, information, whatever that that's out there. Uh, I am a, a veritable walking holocron, uh, and if you're a Star Wars fan, you know what that is, uh, of knowledge <laughs> when it comes to Star Wars. So now I am not doing, I mean, to do a pick of the week on Star Wars would, you know, almost be ridiculous. I'd, I'd need, you know, 10 hours to do that. But there's something I want to concentrate on that I, I really found enjoyable because everybody's very, very excited right now because Disney, and I've talked about this on, on the show before, uh, Disney, you know, now owns Star Wars. They bought it off of George Lucas for $4 billion and, and, and some other options. Um, and they are saying they're going to make 7, 8, and 9 along with a bunch of other films, uh, including films that may take it take place in between uh they've got you know harrison ford's coming back all the actors are coming back you know anyone that's alive anyway uh and it's all very very exciting and everybody's like okay yeah you know we we can be into star wars again because now lucas isn't running the show um and lucas you know apparently was was screwing everything up well i disagree i don't think lucas was always screwing everything up i will i will i'll lay this tidbit out on you and maybe you can ask me about this and i'll do it for like a listener email uh, I don't think George Lucas created Star Wars. I think Alan Dean Foster did. Uh, and I think there's a lot of proof for that. Uh, I also don't think, I also would agree that George Lucas has never made Star Wars great. Uh, in fact, the first episode four, you know, A New Hope, the original Star Wars film from 77, isn't that great a movie in my opinion. I It's groundbreaking, I understand that. But I don't think it's that great of a film. Um that said <laughs> you know okay yeah well then who made it great well i'll tell you who made it great uh you know erwin kirshner made made things great with empire strikes back uh but why was return of the jedi still great because the director you know uh richard markhand wasn't the, the greatest um really the guy that made it all great is lawrence kasdan and credit to, to disney they hired back lawrence kasdan uh you know to, to write to write more uh you know, more star Wars. He's also responsible, I think for making Indiana Jones great too. But anyway, 
Um, with all this in mind, all this stuff happening in between and the return of, of, uh, trilogy characters, you know, uh, you know, original trilogy characters like Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and all this, uh, there was a time in the nineties. Now you have to bear in mind when Timothy's on there, there was like a good, I was barely conscious, you know, meaning I was like seven or eight. Um, when there was a time frame where like star Wars just wasn't even on the map. Okay. Uh, and it wasn't until Timothy Zahn in the nine, in the early nineties came out with his Thrawn trilogy, uh, as in grand Admiral Thrawn that star Wars finally like came back and it came back and that, uh, well, dark horse also did their dark empire trilogy, which that was huge. Um, and so the comic books and the novels, you know, really made star Wars a thing again. And that's probably what convinced George Lucas along with his, uh, you know, his divorce term ending, um, you know, around 98 that, that got him to, to start making movies again, you know, because he realized, Oh, Hey, I can still make money off of this. Um, so anyway, so the novels were probably the biggest thing though, in the nineties that really, uh, you know, and, and video games like the computer games at the time, like, uh, uh X wing and tie fighter were amazing. Uh, you know, that, that was a big deal too. So George Lucas had the incredible idea. I give him, and he, and I think he deserves the credit for this in 1996, he made what was called an interquill. Now, well, he didn't make it. He had Steve Perry write it. And I don't think it was his really his story at all, but it was his idea to do kind of like this multimedia star Wars event. And they called it shadows of the empire. Okay. Uh, and, and, a lot of people know it for different things. Some people know it for the comics. Some people know it for the great Nintendo 64 game as well as PC, but a great Nintendo 64 game, which it was, is like the second or third best selling Nintendo 64 game ever. Um, yeah, I think it was a launch title even. Uh, also the novel by Steve Perry, not the singer for journey, but, uh, but Steve Perry, uh, and also there was a sound, a soundtrack for it done by Joel McNeely. I mean, they, they made this, this was a, this really was a star Wars event. Okay. Uh, they made sure like anything that would exist for a normal star Wars movie, they put out there, there was even action figures. Uh, I mean, there's just all this stuff, the, the, the branding machine that star Wars had going or the merchandising machine that star Wars had going on went full bore with shadows of the empire, not as bad as it did with episode one, but it was out there. I mean, then you, if you wanted shadows, of the empire stuff, it, it was there. And so for something so big with so much exposure and so much going on in 1996, again, this is three years before episode one would come out. Um, and intriguingly at the time, it was really the first time you could ever read more about Darth Vader because anything licensed by Lucasfilm at the time, uh, all took place after return of the Jedi or maybe briefly before, but either way, it never, never, ever touched on the character of Darth Vader, which for many people is their favorite character of star Wars. And I, I can totally understand that. Um, and so shadows of the empire, you know, did it live up? Was it that good? You know, did, did all this really work in my opinion? Yeah. You know, there are some people who, who thought that it was like overhyped, I thought it was incredible. The video game was great. Uh, I still play it on PC. It's a great, it's a great time. Uh, the comic book was really good and the novel was amazing. Uh, I thought, even though it's very, very short. Uh, but the point was, is that all these different multimedia, you know, the multimedia event that it was each part was supposed to, uh, to get the complete story of shadows of the empire. You had to do each one. You had to read the comic. You had to play the game uh, on the hard setting at that to get the actual ending where Dash Rendar uh, 
and I'll stop there. Uh, <laughs> um, and you, you had to read the book, you know, to, to get this like real complete exposure. My favorite part of it was the novel, admittedly. Um, I enjoyed, like I said, Darth Vader was in it. Uh, and in, and with that in mind, you know, it, it, it had this, like the, I think it was the very opening sequence of the book where Darth Vader is trying to, he's using the force and he's trying to heal himself. Um, you know, his scarred body that we all know now he has. And in so doing, when he, when he can suddenly breathe without needing, you know, that suit, um, you know, because his lungs or whatever are messed up, uh, he suddenly feels happy and he loses control over the dark side. And then he just gets angry and he goes back to being Darth Vader. But it's a really, really powerful thing to read, uh, about, about such a tragic character is, I love it. It's great. Um, also shadows of the empire actually introduces what may be one of my favorite characters, if not my favorite character of the star Wars saga. Um, of course, I guess it's debatable with Disney. If all this stuff is still going to be considered quote unquote canon, meaning, you know, did this actually happen in that universe according to what's officially licensed, uh, Prince Shizor, or at the time I actually, I called him Zizzer <laughs> because, you know, I didn't know really how to pronounce it, um, but then the book kind of had this scene with a with his chair where the chair is talking to him and it can't pronounce his name properly, so it spells it out as Shizor. And anyway, I love Prince Shizor. He he's he's this character, um, a reptilian race. He's a faline, and he's a tragic character too. In that, uh, you find out that really he you know, he just, he wants to, he's jealous of Darth Vader and his position with the emperor. Uh, he hates the fact that the emperor kind of wiped out his species. So he kind of has a vendetta against the emperor in a way it's, which is really, really interesting. He also has this really hot human replica droid called an HRD, uh, meaning it's a droid that looks exactly like a woman or it looks exactly like a human. And you can't really tell the difference. And her name is Guri. Um, and which is really cool because it talks about scenes, you know, where she's protecting him. So she's really strong and badass. But at the same time, there's times where, you know, she's or, uh, you know, is horny and, 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 it, and the book mentions. And this was the great thing about the book, too, is is one of the first times where Star Wars openly admitted that people had sex other than, you know, there's babies being born. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, he, you know, he talks about how he'd be with Guri in, in the hot tub which I thought was, you know, fabulous. Very, very sexy. I very much enjoyed that as being a 15 year old in 1996. Um, so, you know, it, it had that, he was a really cool character. Unfortunately, you know, not much else has ever been done with she's or except for a couple other books, but that's because, you know, the character's not around. Uh, and it introduces kind of a, you know, like the CD, like, like she's or is the head of the black sun, uh, uh, criminal organization. And that's kind of, um, you know, it's, it's like the CD, you know, uh, black market kind of thing, which that was cool too, was that, uh, you know, the, the, it added a lot of, uh, a lot of underground to star Wars, which was cool. The comic book did that a lot too, because it's all about like Boba Fett or about, uh, you know, Lando or land. I'm sorry, not Lando Lando and Chewie, you know, kind of hunting down, um, Boba Fett to, to try and get Han Solo back. So, cause this, all this takes place between the empire strikes back and return of the Jedi, which is exciting in itself because again, nothing ever took place during that time. Um, you know, in the nineties in star Wars, we just had no idea what was going on. So that made it all very exciting. Um, 
And so now the reason I'm talking about this for pick of the week is because, you know, if, if you're dying to get it, to get some star Wars, you're starting to feel the hype, you know, from all the advertising. And again, it's only a couple of years away. 2015 is when the new star Wars movies are supposed to start coming out. And then they're going to come out from every year after that, according to Disney. If you're hungry for some really, really good Star Wars, uh, you know, entertainment that's out there, you really can't beat this experience uh, because, again, there's so many ways to take it in. You can you can read the comic. You can read the great novel by Steve Perry. You can play the great video game. You can go to Pirate Bay. You can download it. Um, nobody's going to make money off of buying this anymore. I mean, the game's just, you know, it's gone. So you might as well download it. Go ahead. Um, and not that I wouldn't. Not that I'd have a problem with you downloading it anyway, whether or not someone made money off of it or not. Uh, but uh, Shadows of the Empire, I mean, just there's, there's so much to enjoy. Now, the soundtrack, too, that Joel McNeely did was phenomenal. Um, it's kind of a rarer piece of Star Wars music. And if you've never heard it, I totally recommend checking that out. Uh, I think there's a, tr- there's two tracks on it or three tracks on it that I really, really enjoy. Um, which actually brings up one of my favorite scenes of the book as well. Uh, there's the three tracks are, I want to say it's night skies, which is really, really good. Um, and then there's also Prince Shizor's theme, which is, you know, a really classy, uh, kind of, kind of theme. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it's cool how, how it comes out. And then there's a track called the seduction of princess Leia. Uh, and yes, that happens in the book. <laughs> uh, it doesn't go as far as perhaps I would have liked. Um, but then of course, you know, Prince Shizor being a Faleen, he can kind of give off these pheromones, um, that can attract mates like that's, which happens in nature. I mean, Steve Perry didn't, didn't really come up with that on his own. I mean, creatures do, you know, and theoretically, uh, humans actually excrete pheromones just, you know, we don't like choose it. I guess that's the difference is that, um, you know, the faline, the species faline can actually choose to, you know, to, to excrete this pheromone. And he's having a meeting with princess Leia and he's trying to seduce her. Uh, and, and again, very, very exciting because here it is star Wars, the cleanest of the clean with George Lucas having his way. Hopefully Disney will do better. Um, <laughs> you know, the cleanest of the clean coming right out and saying, yeah, Oh, sex happens in this universe, baby. And that was awesome. You know, I mean, that alone is worth the price of admission with, with shadows of the empire. Uh, I mean, there's cool characters too. dash. Rendar is a really cool character. When you play the video game, um, you know, you even get a little, little bit of scenes with Han Solo, which at the time in 96 was awesome, but it's still a great read all around. Still a great experience. The soundtrack is awesome. The game is awesome. Like I said, the comics good. It's all Boba Fett. And if you love Boba Fett, go for it. Uh, I mean, it's just all great. Anyway, Star Wars Shadows of the Empire. If you're looking to, to, to just whet your appetite for Star Wars, I recommend starting there before these movies come out. You've been listening to Sovereign Tech. I'll catch you next week. Until then, Carpe Lucem. See you later. This has been Sovereign Tech. Visit us at SovereignTech.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N-Tech.com. There you can connect with us, see more of what you've heard on today's show, and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is open source. We encourage you to share. Later, nerds. Nerds.